Hey y'all, welcome to Footnotes and Witness. I'm Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find him in our own story. Let us be faithful witnesses to his character and glory. All right, y'all, we've been talking about Jesus's crew, the disciples, the apostles, what we can see about who they were and what that tells us about who Jesus is. The decisions that he made about who he invited into his crew tell us about Jesus. And so it's so good to see what kind of people Jesus chose, because that shows us what kind of heart Jesus had, that he chose people that were not famous. He chose people that we probably wouldn't have chosen. He didn't pick rich and famous. He didn't pick those who already had a following. He picked regular people, people like you, people like me. So today we're going to round out the 12 with Thaddeus and Judas. So let's start with Thaddeus. So Thaddeus's name means large-hearted or courageous. And in the accounts of Luke and Acts, he's actually called Judas, son of James. And some manuscripts, like in Matthew 10, may actually have it translated not as Thaddeus, but Labaius. I'm not totally sure how to say that correctly. So there's a point of contention here. As with a lot of the disciples, actually, there's a thing that we have with Thaddeus that we don't have a 100% agreed on historically accurate, concrete backed up issue. And that's the book of Jude. So Thaddeus is accredited with writing the book of Jude. So Jude simply begins with Jude, a servant or slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So some have said that Jude is like James, the author of James, a half-brother of Jesus. And it's half because any sibling of Jesus Christ that was born to Mary wouldn't have been born to the Holy Spirit like Jesus, but born to Joseph. And so therefore they're half-siblings. So I may be missing something really simple here. And maybe somebody can send me an email and tell me exactly how I'm wrong. But I have a hard time seeing how Jude is Thaddeus, because if he was a half-brother of Jesus, then he probably wasn't a contemporary, like he didn't follow Jesus in his ministry, because we see several times that Jesus's family didn't believe him. In John chapter 7 and in Mark 3, it says that Jesus's brothers and family didn't believe him. They only came to believe in him after he was crucified. We don't find out about that until Acts chapter 1. Verse 14. So if Thaddeus is an apostle who believes Jesus and is walking with him in his ministry, he's probably not Jude, a half brother of Jesus. Now it could be Jude is brother to James, but not the half brother of Jesus and is Thaddeus. Are you confused yet? Yeah. So as always, the names can make things very confusing. And since there isn't a very clear chart that comes with all of these names, and sometimes the names who have nicknames and the names that are listed several different ways, it can get really confusing. Basically, I'm just going to reference some articles down in the episode description. And if you would like to continue down that rabbit trail, by all means, go for it. Bottom line for me, I want to know more about Jesus. And the things that I can't figure out right now are not really what's going to bother me because I want to spend my time figuring out what does this have to do with Jesus and what can I learn about who Jesus is from this and the things that are not clear, I'm going to make note of in my journal, make the observation, pray about it and move on.
this is always a good place to be in your Bible study. Let the clear things be clear, and the things that aren't clear, just don't worry about it so much. So the reflection question I have for Thaddeus is based on the confusing ambiguity of this disciple. How would you react if credit for your achievements were given to another? How would you feel if you did something and somebody else got credit for it? This could just be simply an issue of names. Everybody in the Bible has lots of names, and sometimes it can get confusing. So how do you react? I bet it's happened to you at least once, where you didn't get the credit for your achievements, and maybe they went to another. How did you feel about that? And what was your reaction? These are some hard heart check questions, because that means if you reacted badly, what is your motivation in actually doing that thing? Did you need the credit for that achievement or was just being able to do it simply enough? Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. All right, let's get into Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. So Jude or Judas means in Hebrew, he shall be praised. And Iscariot means the men of Kerioth. That's K-E-R-I-O-T-H, Kerioth. He's first mentioned in the list of the apostles in Matthew 10, verse 4. This Kerioth thing could be important, could not be important. But I decided to look up what is Kerioth and what does that city mean and does it have any relevance? And I was really surprised at what I found. There are four references to Kerioth in the Old Testament. Joshua, two in Jeremiah, and one in Amos. So Joshua 15, verse 25 Kerioth is a city listed in the cities of the inheritance when they're going to go into the promised land. But by the time we get to Jeremiah, we see in chapter 48, verse 24, that judgment has come upon the plain country. Kerioth is turning from its place of inheritance. It's not a good city right now. As we go a little bit farther in chapter 48 in Jeremiah, this is verse 41. It says that the city is taken and is set at odds against the Lord. Then when we get to Amos chapter 2, verse 2, Kerioth is a city listed as being devoured by God's fire in judgment. So this history of Kerioth, is it important? Is it a statement? I don't know, but it does seem to kind of relate. Judas was once a follower of Jesus and then turned against him, just like the city of Kerioth was intended to be a blessing, part of the inheritance, like Moab, but it rebelled and turned from God. Just like in the garden, we were meant to be with God, but sometimes we chose a different path, ultimately facing God's judgment and the pain in that rebellion. So the book of John gives us a description of how other disciples viewed Judas. So we're starting in John chapter 12. The verses are three through eight. Basically, here's the story. Jesus and his crew, they're hanging out, probably at Mary and Martha's house, but they're having dinner. They're at the table. And Mary takes some super expensive ointment, like oil that smelled really good, and she put it on Jesus's feet. The account in Mark, that's chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, says that Mary actually put it on Jesus's head. And while these two accounts differ on the location of the oil deposit, they agree that someone questioned the validity of wasting expensive oil on Jesus. The pretense for that questioning being that the oil could be sold and maybe used for a better part of their ministry, like feeding the poor. 
But in John's account, he calls out the questioner and tells us that it was Judas Iscariot. And then John gives us clarity in chapter 12, verse 6. He, Judas, said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So we know that at least John considers Judas Iscariot to be a thief and untrustworthy. And yet we see that he was given charge of the money bag. My first question was, why wasn't Matthew, the tax collector, put in charge of the treasury for their ministry? Not sure. But this really highlights to us what Jesus thinks about empty ministry gestures. Some of us might believe that a good action, done even though it was done for the wrong or immoral intentions, is at least still a good action. Something good came out of it. I want to encourage you to read through this account and meditate on what God's attitude is. Jesus tells the questioner to, quote, leave her alone for using such an oil in such a manner. And while this world may see the action as wasteful, Jesus affirms Mary's desire to worship and anoint him. Judas is probably the most well-known for betraying Jesus. He's called Judas the betrayer in the accounts of the apostles, like the names. And those accounts of Jesus being betrayed by Judas are in the following books. Don't forget, I'm going to put all of these scriptures down in the episode description. So this is in John chapter 13 and 18, Luke chapter 22, Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 25, and verses 47 through 50, Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 21, and verses 43 through 46. All of these accounts are written to have happened after Jesus calls Judas out for questioning Mary about her waste with the oil. It always happens after that account. So a logical question in your observation might be, was it Judas's pride and humiliation of being publicly called out that sent him to betray Jesus? So how did the betrayal actually happen? The chief priests and scribes had already made the decision to arrest Jesus and to find a way to have him killed. These accounts are in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. All the particular scriptures will be down in the show notes, but basically it's just right above the accounts of Judas betraying Jesus. So they already had a plan in place and word travels fast. Imagine a small town and somebody has a warrant out for their arrest and they want to kill him. The disciples were aware of this threat it probably wouldn't have been too hard for Judas to figure out how to turn Jesus in. So John 6 says something very interesting about how Jesus already knew that this was going to happen. John 6 verse 70 says, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. John 13 too says that the devil put betrayal in the heart of Judas. So Jesus already knew that this was going to happen that one of them was going to turn their heart to the betrayer. And the word devil here used in both accounts means more something like that. In fact, he's called a devil, not the devil. And the word devil literally means to accuse falsely, one opposed to God, prone to slander. And this is where the conversation takes a dramatic turn. Really big words come into the conversation. 
like sovereignty, Calvinism, and predestination. Basically, the debate is, do we have free will? Did Jesus allow Judas to be deceived, or did Jesus know that Judas's heart and therefore knew him to be a deceiver who would always be unfaithful? Were the prophecies that the Son of Man would be betrayed written because Jesus let the devil into Judas's heart, or would Judas always become tempted out of his own character? I'm going to link to several articles in the episode description. Hopefully those articles can give you some more information and more informed points of view. Now, in my opinion, and my opinion only, God is outside time, and he is the only one capable of seeing all time and humans' hearts, their intentions, and their motivations. So basically, I don't have a definitive answer in case you didn't catch that. But I will say this, if this bothers you, if you struggle with this, good. It's a good thing to struggle with. And I want to affirm you that people have struggled with this for a long time, are struggling now, and will continue to debate this long after we're gone. So there's lots of resources out there that you can look into. You can talk about sovereignty and predestination. You can ask your pastor, hey, I want to know more about this. The way that I see it transpired is that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. And yet he gave Judas control of the ministry treasury, and he lived life with Judas for a long season. What I see about Jesus is that he stays with those that he loves and gives ample opportunity to be with them. We have an OT reference here that is kind of like this story, and that's Pharaoh in Egypt. So if you remember back to your days of Exodus, when Moses comes in to get his people out of Egypt, there are 10 plagues. And during the sixth plague, specifically in Exodus 9, verse 12, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So there was opportunity for Pharaoh to submit to God before that time. However, this transpired. Here's what I go home with. God is in control. God can and does use evil intention for his good. God's plans supersede ours and God is worthy of trust. So when thinking about Judas Iscariot, my reflection question is, what would your legacy be? Based on your faith up to this point right now, what would your legacy be? I'm sure that Judas Iscariot accomplished some good things while he was hanging out with Jesus. Maybe he did feed the poor. Maybe he did bring some people to salvation. He told them the good news and they were saved. And yet his legacy is the betrayer. What would your legacy be if it had to be written right now? The other reflection question that I have for you is something that you can actually put into practice right now. Could you eat dinner with someone that you know would or has hurt you deeply? Jesus lived life with Judas, but of course, Jesus is perfect. That's understandable. We're not perfect. How can we do that? How can we dine with people, invite them into our homes, set them down at our table, knowing that they're going to stick a knife in our back? This could be the radical behavior that helps define Christians as being in this world, but not of this world. That radical behavior could just be kindness. 
I know that there have been several times, usually around this time of year, Thanksgiving coming up, where it's been really hard to think about sitting down at a table with someone who has been hurtful to me or hurtful to my family. And yet, it is a representation of Christ when we can do that. It will be infinitely harder, yes, to live life with people who are going to betray you, who have betrayed you. But the simple act of kindness of being at the table with someone can show Jesus's love. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think we can take comfort in that, that if we give the table over to the Lord, even if our enemies are sitting there, our cup can still overflow. We can still have goodness and mercy, and it can follow us all the days of our lives, and we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our legacy doesn't have to be getting even, holding people accountable. A legacy of kindness is definitely something that I would like to strive for. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, y'all, we did it. We talked about all of the disciples. We talked about all 12 of Jesus's crew. Hopefully you have been able to see the beautiful picture of who Jesus Christ is through these people that he picked to have in his ministry that he lived life with. So I'm only going to have two more episodes in this season. Next week, we're going to talk about Matthias, who actually replaces Judas Iscariot. And then we're going to talk about Paul, because I think a lot of people assume that he is an apostle, but we see in scripture some reasons why he's not listed in the 12. And then I'm so excited. We are going to have a question and answer time. Our last episode for each season, I'm going to invite someone to come and have a conversation with me. What was clear in this season? What wasn't? What are some questions? And what were those reflection questions like for you to answer? And so in two weeks, I'm very excited to let you know that my husband, Mike McKenzie, is going to come on and have that conversation with me. Yay! I'm so excited I can talk him into this. So make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast and you can do that on your podcast catcher. You can also go to my website, deborahjmckenzie.com. And I have a page dedicated just to this podcast. You can get the MP3s. You can listen on the player that's embedded in the page, or you can go to your RSS feed and make sure that you subscribe, whether you use Google or Spotify or Apple, whatever works. You can also send me an email through that website. I would love to hear if you have any questions or comments throughout this series. If you don't have any questions, that's totally fine. But I hope that you have spent this time getting to know Jesus as a friend, not just accumulating facts, but using these things to see Jesus rightly because he is a good friend and he's worth it. And that is good news.